couple of things. Um, I want to extend our condolences to Tim. His uncle passed away this week, and there was an aunt or something as well. I'm not sure of that. So we just, uh, you know, pray for them. Uh, if you're trying to do any Google searches on my stories this morning, I was notified by Spectrum that our Wi-Fi is out. And the last notice was about half hour ago that said it'll be on at 12 o'clock. So if we want to hold off and start that, no, we want to go. It might not get up. It might. We're going to record it anyway and see what happens. Uh, so if they're out there, good morning. If they're not, too bad. All right. Uh, welcome to all of you. Uh, in the last several weeks, we've been challenged by uh, Paul's words to Timothy out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 to 13 or 14, 15, right in there. And in that challenge, uh, Paul said to Timothy, I want you, I need you to be aware of several things that you really got to press into. You have to flee all this. You've got to run away from deception, false teachers, false doctrines that are on the earth. You've got to run away from that, flee it. Uh, and also the love of money or materialism, trying to find hope, meaning, and happiness in money or going after that. Because then that day it's no different than this day. People live for what they can accumulate what they can keep gaining. So he said, be careful of that because it will ruin you. It will get you on a, a path that you really don't want to go. And the second thing he said, if you're going to quit doing that, you've got to do something else. If you're going to turn your back on that, you need to run or pursue after other things. I'm not having you turn there because we've been here a lot, but if you want to write it down, it's First Timothy chapter 6, 11 through 16. But he said, I need you to run after uh, righteousness, Right living, and run after godliness, uh, godliness, becoming like God in your attitude. What would Jesus do? Begin to live as Jesus lived. And faith, run after faith and love and endurance and gentleness. The third thing he said, fight the good fight of faith. He said it's going to be a battle because the enemy is going to attack your belief that God doesn't love you, God doesn't care, God does, God's someplace else in the universe, too busy to fight you, uh, to be worried about you, but you need to fight for faith coming against the doubt of God's word, thinking that God doesn't mean what he says, the word of God, and so forth. We've talked a lot about that, fighting the good fight of faith. And finally, it was the taking hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made a good confession and in front of a lot of people, and most specifically, you did in the sight of God. He said, when you made your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you didn't do it quiet, you did it publicly. People saw that, but more importantly, God saw it. So you uh, grab hold of that, get a grip on it, get a grip on eternal life. Get a grip. And we've been talking about that, but since we've been talking about eternal, the word eternal life and, and eternity, I have, I don't know about you, but I've been noticing that the words eternal and eternity are not a part of our vocabulary as people in the Western world at this juncture in history. People don't talk about eternal things other than maybe a sermon that Pastor Jim gives. It's an eternal issue. Is he ever going to stop? Or um, a professor in college or a lecture that you're in and said, it felt like an eternity if only they would quit that stuff. I, t I was struggling to find a sentence that people might use to, to plug in eternity into or eternal into. 
And I couldn't find very many. Afterwards, you can tell me what you found on the internet that it's no longer plugged in. Okay, it doesn't work, so you can't do it. But anyway, I didn't do that. Um, so it was difficult. Two, two events happened in the last four days that has caused me to think about that in terms of how it's used or we don't think about eternity. I can sit here in church on Sunday morning with you and we can talk, grab hold of eternal life and all that that means and get a grip on it, but how does that plug into my life? If, if I don't have a terminology or an understanding of what that looks like out there away from where we're sitting, how does this look like in the world? And most of the time we leave it back at church and we go on and live our own lives the way we want with no thought that tomorrow we could die or something. But two events happened that uh, really reminded me of that. One was Judy and I were given tickets to go hear the Triumphant Quartet, Southern Gospel Quartet down at the Hartfield Kitchen. And um, I enjoyed it because I grew up on a lot of that kind of music. It was nice. Judy got into it too a little bit. I had to hold her down. No clapping, girl. Come on. This is, these are Christian people. We don't do that here. No, she, she was better than I was. Anyway, so they're singing the songs, and they're singing the songs of eternity. They said, you know, I will be there. Will you be there? And songs like that. And it was reminded of, of that emphasis on, on doing uh, and thinking about heaven. In fact, I did a, a, a very unscientific search of an old hymn book that we used to have here at church about eternity, and there's about 21 songs in this hymn book that talk about eternal things. It used to be the songs of the church, um, things like, uh, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. I have a home beyond the river. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Now, some of you have already tried to sing that in your brain. Stop it. We're not, we're not singing these songs. Uh, my home, sweet home, in the sweet by and by. Oh, that will be glory when we all get home. Uh, you know, it's just song after song. Shall we gather at the river, all those on Jordan's stormy banks? We're marching to Zion. And I thought, and, and when I did my little research on hymns, since we don't use hymn books anymore, you would notice this, but it gives the dates by which they were written. And I would say the average of those 21 songs, and there's many more in the hymn book, but the average time it was written was about in 1910, 1910, there were some 1890s, some 1920s, uh, maybe even one up to 1950, but the majority of the hymns that were written on eternity and the destiny of the believer, going home to be with Jesus, uh, stepping on shore and finding a home, all that kind of music, the song of the church in the early 1900s was eternity. About that issue of living and gaining the eternal life in heaven. So I don't know what was going on in 1910. Of course, there was, uh, you know, the Industrial Revolution was beginning. World War I was about to break out, but people had their eyes on heaven. I'm not sure so much of what's going on now about heaven. That was the first event that happened. And then uh, Friday, uh, Judy and I went down to Noble County to uh, a lady's funeral, 93 years old, who uh, grew up, uh, I grew up knowing them in all these years, and we had their funeral. Funerals emphasize eternity. That's the issue, right? When you leave this earth, what are you going to do? Our, and, or our final days when uh, our life, our loved ones begin to uh, get uh, sicker and weaker and weaker. People begin to think about heaven and eternity. And I came across a couple of verses. Uh, go to Psalm 90. 
And I want you to, to see this because if we're going to talk about eternal life, it's got to become conversant in your today life. In Psalm 89, this Psalm before Psalm 90, that's easy, 89 and then 90, but 89, go to verse 48. I'm really sorry that we only talk about heaven and eternity or hell and eternity at funerals. It should be every lot should be in our vocabulary, but in verse, uh, Psalm 89, verse 48, who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? Now, the obvious question is none of us can. All of us have seen death somewhere along the line. All of us will, or none of us will escape the power of the grave. One page over the next chapter, Psalm 90, look down, and we'll begin at um, verse, uh, verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Verse 9. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, Lord, your wrath is great as the fear that it's in your due. But here's the verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to be aware of this life we're living here. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Jesus gave a parable in Luke chapter 12 about the rich man who had, uh, he must have been an awesome farmer. He had a lot of grain that came in. He built a barn and put it in there. Sold off what he needed, had more extra, and built another barn and put some more in there. And he was just amassing all of this stuff as Jesus tells the story. And finally, he sat down, he said, I think I have enough. I'm going to take my ease. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm resting. This is retirement time. I've got it all handled. Everything's fine. But Jesus says, but then comes the word, you fool, you fool. This night, your life is required of you. Such is a man who is, lives that way and is not rich towards God, did not deal with eternal issues, did not deal with where he was going to go. His soul was going to be required of him. So I don't want to make this any kind of a funeral emphasis. The fact is that none of us know how long we're going to live, but the point is we're all going to face eternity, heaven or hell. We have a choice to make. And I pray that all of you have made that choice to follow the Lord Jesus. So eternity is an important understanding about God's creation and how we live it right here. How God created us to be and how we need to understand there is eternal life. We must take hold of it. And then two weeks ago, we talked about Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, who talked about our emphasis of being a person of heaven, an eternal person living in a, a world that doesn't understand that. The world has its own way of doing. How are we going to live? And he gave us four little points, really are accurate to say. He said we need to hear the language of heaven. And last week I talked a lot about profanity and cursing and what kind of words are coming out of you. Are they blessing? 
Or are they curses? Are they words of life? Are they words of put-downs and sarcasm? Are they words that will bring about the word of God spoken through me and you if we're going to grab hold of eternal life? The language, the world needs to hear a different language, the language of heaven and what that's going to look like in us. They need to smell the fragrance of heaven, the smell of heaven. The, the aroma of Christ that's coming out of us. Number three, we saw the, the ways of heaven. The world needs to see what the ways of heaven are like. Why else are we here? We need to be seen as a representative of God and then to hear the sound of heaven. And so last week we did talk about the ways of heaven, the language of heaven, I'm sorry, the words we give, the blessings and, and foolish words and cursing and so forth. But I want to go back to Matthew chapter, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And I want to touch the ways of heaven and conclude this morning with the worship of heaven, hearing the sounds of heaven. I touched it just for a little bit last week, but I want to grab hold of it this morning. The ways of heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, we call this the Sermon on the Mount. It is a part of the Beatitudes. We call those the Beatitudes, the blessings, the blessed are you, if. And, and last week I read all those. You could, uh, you could wrap that up and call it the character of the kingdom. What does the kingdom of God, the eternal life of God, the kingdom rule come, what does it look like in our lives? And this, Jesus told them, this is what it's going to look like. Now let me define the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where God reigns supreme and Jesus Christ is king. So if I'm going to grab hold of the kingdom of God, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God. If I'm going to grab hold, as Paul told Timothy, grab hold of that, take hold of eternal life, it means that my attitude, my actions, my character need to reflect that. It needs to reflect that. That we live like Jesus did. We've got to live differently than the rest of the world. How are they going to know who you are if you don't live any different? You act just like them. You talk just like them. You cheat like they do. You steal like they do. You run around like they do. You do everything the world does. What difference does it make? But when you become a new creature in Christ and he lives inside of you, your life becomes different. This funeral that we had on, on Friday was a lady that... My dad and Eddie, uh, her husband who passed away, and my dad has passed away, those two guys have been buddies since they've been little. Back in 1930s, they were buddies in 35, probably 1935, they got separated, and one of them, Eddie went down to Noble County and then married, met Nellie and married, and they've been a part of her family. I lived on the farm down there with them a couple summers. My brother and I spent a couple of weeks but I've been thinking about all that, Dad and Eddie and their life, and they're both in the Navy during World War II and different things. Also found like why Nellie told us boys, do not use the bathroom in the house. What? I'm from Stowe. We have bathrooms in our house that we use. No, you can't use the bathroom in the house here. You've got to use the outhouse. So I was, got my education down there. <laughs> Go down there, take a walk over there. In fact, it's sort of funny, the, the church that we had the service in had men and women outside in their own buildings, right outside. So we were down there, and, um, and, and I grew up with that, grew up down there, and learned that they didn't have water in the house. It was up in a cistern up on the hill, and they had to get water to come down. So we used the outhouse, got Saturday night bath and a wash tub out back, also part of my nine-year-old education. So it was all fun for me. 
But all the memories that I have, all the things, I was thinking about my dad, I was thinking about all these things that happened. Now, heaven is here. I mean, they're on, on with that. But I'm thinking, how dad's life changed when he met Jesus. How my life changed when Jesus came in. It was a difference. What's wrong with you? You don't do what we used to do. No, I'm different. Why? Jesus came in. My life was transformed. And the gospel has been preached around the world, that same message now, through things that have gone on over the years. So, what is our assignment? Once we have come into the kingdom, what is our assignment? Look down at verse, uh, Matthew 5, verse 13. If, if 3 through 12 talks character, 13 through 16 gives assignment, purpose. If we're going to grab hold of eternal life, what is it going to look like? Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled, trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I've said this so many times that, that I think most of you ought to grab hold of this. When God begins to speak to you, you begin to hear it everywhere. God said, talked about this, and you begin to hear it all over the place. And just Friday, uh, I get the uh, sapphires from Rabbi Khan, and Friday he said this, the salt out of this passage. I said, well, this is going to help me. But he said, now listen to his interpreter, Rabbi Jonathan Khan. He said, now sometimes at home I smell something not quite right. I'll go to the refrigerator, hunt through it until I find something. It might be a Tupperware dish to open up. It was something else in another life, but it died, whatever it was. This food is now transformed. So I throw it away. Well, what happened has much to do with you. You see, salt doesn't go bad. And for the same reason, it keeps other things from going bad or rotten. Now, you look at the world and what's going on in the nation, the media, the television, it doesn't smell right. So you shut it out of your house, out of your family. Well, that's good. But that's not good enough. Salt or food goes rotten because it is untouched by any preservative. And that's what, preservatives of the, that's what the preservative of the world is. It's you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? So stop complaining about how rotten the world is. Start praying, fasting, share the word, be part of the answer, because it's your business. You're the salt, and if you don't do your job, then it's a rotten thing. Well, that, that really speaks to us, doesn't it? We're called to be the salt. Jesus said it. You are the salt of the earth. Now, we're also light. Let me read you this paragraph concerning light. We're called the, this is not Jonathan Kahn, it's another commentator. We're called the lights of the world. Light bearers, reflectors, candlesticks, sticks, lamps. We're to be kindled ourselves, and then we will burn and give light to others. We are the only light the world has. The Lord might come down himself and give light to the world, but he's chosen differently. He wants to send it through us. And if we don't give it, the world won't have it. Listen to that. Jesus said, you're light of the world. You need to shine. Let your light so shine that they can see God and glorify your Father in heaven. Shine out. So if we don't, 
they're not going to have it. We should be giving light all the time to our neighbors. God doesn't put a meteor in the sky to tell us when to shine. We're to be giving light all the time wherever we are, at home or in the social circle or in our place in the church. We should feel always we may, have never, we may never have another opportunity for it. We should shine that way. So we will always be burning and shining for him. Let our lamps be trimmed and burning and full of the oil of the Spirit. Above all, let us be a steady light to the lost ones. You know, I, I've... Uh, been around a long time, and so many of you. And it's easy to get comfortable with sort of being who we are, who you are. And we lose sight that Jesus is, is looking for us to shine out to the world around us. To shine out. Who else is going to do it? Some preacher on the radio might give it a go. Some television preacher might do it. Some magazine or book might do it, but that God isn't chosen. Now that he's chosen me to do it and you to do it, to shine the way of heaven, eternal life. This is the way of heaven, lived in and through us. So the world would know Jesus. They would know peace. They would know, have life. And that is our call, the way of heaven. Well, there's also another part of grabbing hold of eternal life, which is to live that way, live that way and shine. But also it's the sound of heaven. The song of heaven. What do they hear? You know, we have a song of worship. A sound that exalts and magnifies God. And what's interesting is God is looking for it. God from his throne in heaven and his omnipresence everywhere is seeking the people who are his who will display worship for him so the world will know. Let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus was uh, waiting out by a well. He sent his disciples in to get some food, and he's waiting there, and a woman comes up to draw water in the middle of the day, and Jesus begins to talk to her. I won't go through the whole story, but it starts with Jesus. Jesus asks, will you give me a drink? And she said, but you're a Jew and I'm a woman. How can you ask that? How can we even have this conversation? But he said, I will give you living water and you'll never thirst again. And in that conversation, they came to verse 21, where he says to her, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the, in the Spirit and in truth. We, you see, heaven... Eternal life, God, knowing him as eternal life, is looking for people on earth who will worship him. Now, if I'm going to worship God, it has to be seen and heard by somebody, because we're not here, we're, remember, we're salt and light. So how does the sound of heaven, what does the sound of heaven sound like? We've been blessed with salvation. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Hebrews chapter 12. So at the end of your New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. 
Therefore, we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Since we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. The Jewish Bible says it this way. Hold on to the grace that we have been given and use it to worship God in a way that he finds acceptable. We worship in a way that God finds acceptable. We're worshiping our God. I think if there's anything that I have focused on, maybe that's the word I want to use, focused on throughout my spiritual journey, is worshiping God. Our songs that we sing, the way we lift our hands, and the way we bow our knee, and we're worshiping our God. And why can I worship God? Because he's given grace to me. Because of the grace, you know, let us be thankful and worship God. What God has given us, we worship him. It's our, it's our privilege, it's our responsibility to grab hold of that and to worship him. To have a different song. A song of heaven, what's going on in heaven. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, the early church, every time they got together, it seems to indicate from the word, that they worshiped God. It was part of their life. It was a part of their DNA. The early church had worship in it. Go to verse 23. Peter and John had been in prison. They were arrested for a man who, who was uh, healed and, and they didn't know what, the leaders arrested them, didn't know what to do with them. But verse 20 says, on their release, Peter and John went up back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, Okay, these guys just got released from jail. They came in the house where everybody was gathered. They told them this is what's going on. When they heard about that, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Their response to the trial, their response to the issue they faced them. Church, we're facing a bunch of trials. What's our response to that? What are we doing about the insanity that we're seeing going on over and over around us that's confusing, confusing and uh, wrong and Marxist and controlling and, and nobody knows what's going on. It's, it's almost every day I feel it's, it can't get any crazier than this. I'm afraid to say that I don't often do what the early church is and I'm not sure you do either. They raise their hands and their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything else. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's what they do. Now, verse, go down to verse 30. He said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, and when they worshiped, and when they declared how great God was, the place where their meeting was shaken, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. Church, our job, our calling, our privilege is to give voice to the song of heaven, the song of the redeemed, the song... Of, of soul set free. That's our calling. And that's our sound. That's the worship. Now, turn to chapter 16. I referred to this very quickly last week. Paul and, and Silas. 
A young lady was set free from the bondage of, of, of demonic control. And they were, they were arrested. Paul and Silas were arrested. They were beaten. Go to verse 22. The crowd joining the attack against Paul and Silas, the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Let me just tell you what that looked like. The beating with rods was not a whip upon the back, but it was turned upside down, and they beat the bottom of your feet with metal rods until bones were broken in your feet. Why is it that our feet, they're so sensitive? Anybody walk on carpet where there's a Lego? Listen to that. It's all, it's all coming back, isn't it? All of a sudden, your foot quivers because you remember that Lego that one of the kids, their grandkids, left around, and you find it. Imagine your punishment for setting a, man, for setting a lady free from the bondage of Satan. Your consequences of that is we're going to beat the bottom of your feet until you can't hardly walk. Now, into that persecution situation. I was down to verse 20, 23. After they've been severely flogged, they're thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fashioned their feet in the stocks. Verse 25. Actually, it's really 24 and a half. And they cried and they whined, and they told each other, how, if you hadn't done that, we wouldn't be here. If you hadn't done that, I, 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 no, that didn't happen. Okay. That's what we would have done. That's not what they did. About midnight, Paul and Silence were praying and singing hymns to God. Other prisoners were listening and said, what is that sound? I don't know that song. And they were singing hymns of praise to God. And heaven came down and filled that place where they were. Don't you desire sometimes that in the middle of your mess, probably in the middle of Fox News or something like that, suddenly your house gets filled with the presence of God and joy and the awesome goodness of God breaks into your world. That's what happened here. Lord, may it happen in our homes. May it happen in our trucks and cars as we're driving. May when, the, when fear comes in and tension comes in and anxiety comes in, that heaven would come in when you open your mouth and I'm going to sing a different song. I'm going to lift up my God in praise and in worship. I'm going to praise him. Amen. Anybody want to join with me in that? Praise God. Amen. We're going to do it. Paul and Silas did it. And through the centuries, well, earthquake came, they were released, a whole family gets saved. That's what we're talking, that's what we're called to do. And throughout the centuries, martyrs have died, burned at the stake with a song of worship on their lips. Songs of victory. It was Resurrection Sunday in the Austrian town of Feldkirk in 1799. Resurrection morning. They awoke to find their peaceful village in Austria besieged by the army of Napoleon. Knowing that the town's defenses could not withstand an attack, those in authority hastily called a meeting to decide if they should hoist the white flag and surrender to the enemy. The dean of the church rose first and addressed the somber assembly. This is resurrection day, he said, with a trembling voice. 
This is the day of our King's resurrection. We must have one moment of triumph. Let us at least ring the bells. If the town falls, it falls, but we must ring all the bells of resurrection. His counsel prevailed, and soon, when the church tower, from the church towers, the bells rang out their joyous sound, the vibrant music reverberated through the valleys of the hills of Field Kirk, filling the frost air with gladness. The invaders, massed outside the gate, were confounded. Why should there be such celebration? Concluding that the Austrian army had arrived during the night to relieve the town, the French broke camp and were in full retreat before the bells stopped ringing. The song of victory, the song of resurrection. But it's us today. We've got to see that it isn't a conflict from the vantage of the world, the way the world does. We don't measure the resources by the wisdom and strength of it. We belong to another country. We belong to a city not made with hands. We have grabbed hold of eternal life. A man was asked if he expected to go to heaven when he died. He said, why? I already live there. Heaven's my home. I'm there. That's true. We live. Our citizenship is in heaven. Earthly worship is directly related to heavenly worship. A song on earth blends with the heavenly choir. The book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. It's a book of end times. It's a book that describes things that are going to happen in the tribulation days towards the end of time. Many people are going to Revelation now because of situations that are happening in our world. And, and really, and I feel it, and I hope you do too, that it's getting close. Jesus is coming back. Our King is coming. And we ought to anxiously await his coming and look for that. But most of the time, we get all concerned, well, is this the mark of the beast? Is this this? Is this the Antichrist? Is this that end times? What is that? But did you know that the book of Revelation is a book of songs? There are 14, 14 songs from heaven in the book of Revelation. 14 of them. From chapter 4, verse 8, chapter 4, 11, the song of redemption, chapter 5, 9 and 10, the angels sing. There's a crescendo of creation in Revelation 5. The, martyr, the martyrs sing in Revelation 6. Salvation is sung about in heaven in Revelation 7, both verse 10 and 12, another song. A kingdom carol, 11. A song of judgment, the Lord reigns in chapter 11. The shout of the overcomers is sung in Revelation 12. The song of Moses and the Lamb in Revelation 15. The hallelujah chorus in Revelation 19, 1 through 4. And the symphony of the marriage feast in Revelation 19. The city of the everlasting song of worship to God. Can I tell you that in the midst of all that that's coming, heaven, John saw it. He said, I, John, saw the Lord high and lifted up, and I saw his glory. And when he saw the things that he saw and the revelation that he saw concerning Jesus Christ, what was going on in heaven? A song of worship, a song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord.
We're going to sing that song afterwards. But let me give you two more thoughts about worship. Go to Psalm 115. If you're taking notes, you can write down 135 verse 18. But we're going to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Psalm 135, 18 is the same quote. I'll start with verse 4. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes that cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but can't feel, feet but can't walk, nor can they utter a sound with their voices. Now here's the verse that's repeated in Psalm 135. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. God outlines the principle of worship. Whatever you worship, you become like that. If you're worshiping something dead, can't see, can't touch, can't smell, can't talk, can't do anything, you walk in that darkness and that death. But the same principle abides on the other side. When you worship God, you become like him. We're transformed in the image of God. It says in, in 1 Corinthians, I think it is, or 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we're beholding the Lord and we're becoming like him. Our eyes are upon him. We walk according to him. So you're going to become like what you fill up with, what your eyes are, what you're worshiping. And finally, you can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Ephesians chapter 5 talks about, again, the church, what we're doing as believers. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. I think that's not the right verse I want. But it talks about the issue. Oh, that's because I'm in Galatians. Here it is. Ephesians 5. Verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, like now. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read a quote from Ann Ortland. She said, Worship is all we have. Worshippers all have to be taught how to worship. We may have gone to church for years and yet never developed a worshiping muscle. Let none of us assume we know how. In fact, scenes of heaven in the book of Revelation seem uh, as foreign to us, probably as much, probably. I'm sorry, let me say it. In fact, scenes of heaven in the book of Revelation seem as foreign to us who are probably think we know a lot, but we know much less than we think we know about heaven. We've got to get a grip on it. We've got to get a grip on what God's doing about eternal life, our song, our worship to the Lord. We're going to conclude this morning with this scripture, Isaiah 6.3. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I want all of us to enter into worship God. Because Isaiah 6, verse 3, you can come, worship team. Isaiah 6, Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord, high and lifted up, 
And he saw the angel host and the wings and everything there. And in verse 3, he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can you get a vision of God this morning of heaven and worship him with me? Would you stand as we set our hearts? Father God, I know that you called us out of darkness into your light. I know that you've assigned us a job with salt and, and light that we would show off to the world you, that they would see you in all of your glory. And Lord, I know that heaven resounds with praise to you today, but we want to be those that our lives resound in worship, a new song out of our hearts to you and our words, our way as we do that. So now, Lord, as we sing your word, the revelation that Isaiah saw of angels, we join angels today as we sing this song.